for years I have been trying to work with our kids on having uh, a period of quiet in their days, back when they were little and we were still taking naps. And uh, I tried to teach our kids that they need to have some downtime, some rest time, and whether they sleep or whether they are just quiet and read a book, it doesn't really matter. And that all comes from the verse in Psalms, it's Psalm 46, uh, 10, that says, Be still and know that I am God. So part of, of, of really emphasizing the Sabbath with our kids is because at, they're at an age when uh, that's the best time for them to get a rest is because they are so busy the other six days of the week. So we're trying to train our children to hear God and to know Him. Welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Monday edition of our broadcast. It does seem to be indigenous to being a teenager that you just load up your plate with activities and don't have the sense God gave you. That's how somebody used to say it. You know, you just don't have the sense God gave you. Who used to say that, Bob? Well, it may have been my mom who said that. <laughs> because this is, this is an area, as we talk about busyness, this is an area where my mom used to always say to me, Son, you can't do all of this. You can't do it all. It was because she had to cover for me in about half of the things <laughs> that I was called on to do. Do you know what my nickname was uh, that my mom called me as? Uh, I, I do. Why don't you tell our listeners? Roadrunner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> my mom called me Roadrunner. She said, you were born breech, which means I came out feet first. She said, you uh, came out running, and you've been running ever, ever since. since. You know, your wife, Barbara, is with us again in the studio today. Hi, Barbara. Hey. Did you have this same disease? I mean, Dennis and I loaded up our plates with activities. Did you know how to say no? Probably not very well. I didn't have a nickname of Roadrunner, but I was on the go a lot. Teenagers just don't seem to have the wisdom, Barbara, to say, this is how much I can manage in life. They have to be trained to have that. I mean, all of a sudden, here they are, 14, 15, 16, and there are clubs to join. There are places to go. Uh, they can get jobs. Uh, by the time they're 16, they can drive. There are all kinds of things available to teenagers. All of a sudden, it's it's like when, once they exit the door of sixth grade and enter the door of seventh grade, it's this whole new world out there. Mm -hmm. And unless they have someone who mm -hmm. is coaching them, someone who is helping them, uh, with some balance, there will be no balance because it all is new and it's all exciting, and they don't they don't have any idea how how much it's going to cost them. Dennis, busyness is one of the traps that uh, you and Barbara talk about in your book, Parenting Today's Adolescent. One of the issues that can ensnare a young person and lead them off in the wrong direction. What's at the core of this issue with teenagers? Well, you know, you read my mind, Bob, because I was uh, I really wanted to read something from our book here. Because uh, we, we attempted to go to the root issue, and I'll just, I'll just read it. It says, our observation is that the root of busyness is often found in the values parents adopt from others or from the culture. Hmm. In addition to ensuring a good education, we often want our children not just to experience but to excel in additional areas. 
So we get them involved in one or more of a myriad of choices of lessons, such as piano, guitar, voice, art, gymnastics, tennis, or drama, just to name a few. I'm getting tired as I read this. (laughs) Then we let them join competitive athletic teams like soccer, baseball, basketball, football, tennis, swimming, ice skating. And don't forget clubs like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or Awana, Scripture Mm -hmm. Memory. Mm -hmm. And all this and more is available, all being pursued by our pre-adolescent and adolescent children. And if parents don't have a good sense of what our values are and where we want our children to end up, the culture, the peers that our children run with, other families that don't put boundaries around their children will drive us and our family off the cliff. Well, and all of us, Barbara, want to have things like this for our kids to be involved with. I mean, our kids have taken piano lessons, mm-hmm. and they have enjoyed playing basketball on basketball teams. And and so we're, we're kind of suckers for the next thing to come along, because if it sounds interesting, we... We want our children to to enjoy this time of life and to learn some new skills and to have the companionship. But I remember at the end of the basketball season, Marianne looking at me and going, I am so glad it's over. (laughs) Between practice and games, Mm -hmm. we hardly had a meal together. Or Little League. Yeah, it can be exhausting. Yeah, well, it can be relentless. The schedules just go on and on and on, and they can bleed into each other, one season running into another season, and you just find yourself meeting yourself coming and going. Mm -hmm. Right before our children went into adolescence, I'll never forget this, Barbara and I had hammered out this policy, our family's policy of what we wanted to do, and we just agreed as a couple that our children would not be involved in two or three outside activities at the same time. And the reason, Bob, was survival Mm -hmm. for carpool mom over here. With six kids. Exactly. I mean, you're talking about... Anywhere from 12 to 18 to over 20 activities if you allowed six children to be involved in two or three each. And in the middle of that, I'll never forget this. A Christian leader's wife happened to be at a meeting where I was, and she made the comment that she felt like it was wrong of parents to hold back children today from being developed in some of the finer arts of life like violin or orchestra, maybe some uh, music instrument that's not common, but one that would really bring some class to a young person. Mm -hmm. And for a moment, I felt myself wilting. (laughs) I did. I I thought, man, she's right, because I so respected this Christian leader. You were ready to go buy an oboe that day, weren't you? You know, but, but that Christian leader, she only had two children. And interestingly enough, when she made that comment, her children were grown, okay? And she wasn't in the process of having six kids in 10 years, as we did. And she wasn't in the process of running children to two or three Little League practices and games, sometimes in a day for our family. Mm -hmm. And so I had to kind of pull back, and fortunately, I didn't permanently wilt. I just compared myself for a moment, talked to Barbara about it. We agreed that what we were doing was right. But I'll tell you, you can feel like you're, you're being a bad parent, like you're robbing your children from these opportunities. Mm-hmm. I remember when Amy got into high school is when we first start to see the busyness issue creep up on her. And, and by the time your kids are in high school, they really are saying yes to things before you even know there are mm-hmm. things to say yes to. And there were weeks, Barbara, where between homework and activities at church and other activities that uh, Amy had committed herself to and her work schedule, we watched her begin to physically Mm -hmm. get sick. Mm -hmm. Right. 
because she wasn't getting enough sleep, because she was running from one place to the next, we had to try and lasso some of that back in while she was off in the middle of it. How do you as a parent manage that for your child when your child's off in a world of his or her own? Well, you may have to make some decisions that are going to be hard to make. If your child is overcommitted, like Amy was and like our kids have been, you've got to look where they are and decide how can you begin to pull them back? Where can we cut back? What can she drop out of? What can she give up for the time being? But the other thing that that we've done as a family that's been really helpful is we have worked hard to observe the Sabbath. And that means we take Sunday as a day of rest. Uh, and that is hard to do with teenagers because they they can find lots of things to do even on Sunday afternoons, whether it's going for a hike with a bunch of friends or going to a movie. I mean, there's there's lots of things that they can do even on Sundays. But we've worked real hard to keep that as a priority in our family so that our kids have a day where they really can let down and rest, where they're not working, they're not going to activities, they're not doing stuff, they're home. And while they're home, they're uh, – they're not talking on the phone to their friends all day, and they're not listening to their CD music or whatever all day long. They really are quiet and relaxed so that they can have some time to refuel and recoup. And it's become it's been interesting to watch our girls as we've uh, enforced this more and more. Uh, they almost think it's part of Sunday afternoon now for them to take a nap, hmm. which was an unheard of thing initially uh, for the kids. They just thought that was weird for them to take a nap. But they're realizing that it's a good chance for them to kind of catch up on sleep, on rest, on just being still and being quiet. You know, a lot of our listeners haven't read this commandment in a long time, and I just want to read read it in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. I want you to listen because it is directed to the family. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You know, somebody pointed out to me recently that God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was exhausted from the first six. There must have been a principle he was trying to communicate to us by modeling rest on the seventh day for his children Mm -hmm. to follow his example. Yeah, and you got to believe it's important if he took the time to make it one of the ten Mm-hmm. of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Barbara, you mentioned the kids have have started napping. Are they taking to this idea of resting a little bit in the midst of a weary week? Well, it, this is something that we've been trying to teach our kids for years. Um, we're, we're trying to do a better job uh, in recent years of working on the Sabbath uh, in particular. But for years, I have been trying to work with our kids on having uh, a period of quiet in their days, back when they were little and we were still taking naps. And uh, I tried to teach our kids that they need to have some downtime, some rest time. And whether they sleep or whether they are just quiet and read a book, it doesn't really matter. And that all comes from the verse in Psalms, it's Psalm 46, uh, 10, that says, Be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. And I think unless we train our children to be still, unless we train them to be quiet and to think and to rest, Uh, They won't know God. That's what the verse says. Be still and know that I am God. Well, if our kids are so busy, uh, 
There's so much activity, so much music, so much noise, so much commotion going on. If if they were to hear God speak to them, they might not recognize his voice. Mm-hmm. So part of, of, of really emphasizing the Sabbath with our kids is because at, they're at an age when uh, that's the best time for them to get a rest because they are so busy the other six days of the week. So we're trying to train our children to hear God and to know him. Part of the issue with busyness, Dennis, is learning to prioritize and determine what's important and what can be cut away. You're really getting at a point, Bob, where young people today are not skilled, and that is they do not know how to make good biblical decisions. Children today have to be taught in Mm decision-making, and um, right now, uh, Barbara has been after me as a result of some of our uh, Sunday night dates that we've had to sit down with our girls Uh, who are all teenagers, and to help them go through the process of how you make a good decision. Now, you think about this. You think, well, every young person ought to know how to make a good decision. Really? If so, where did they learn it? Mm -hmm. And how did they learn it? Well, by trial and error. Well, that may be true, but the Scriptures spell out some very clear prerequisites for good decision-making. The Scripture and consulting God are are some of the most important, counting the cost of, of what that decision is going to mean in your life. And, and then third, how does it fit in with the rest of your priorities, and is it going to damage the things that are most important or contribute to them? Well, when you teach your children over and over and over again how to make these decisions, and then you give them some kind of daytimer or planner. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this would be one of the things that we stumbled onto that we found each of our children really grabbed hold of, and that was giving them some kind of calendar that they could join with us in the family plan and in our family calendar so they knew what was going on to such a degree, by the way, that when we don't communicate to them what my schedule is or when I'm leaving town, they kind of gripe a little bit and say, why haven't you done a better job planning, Dad? Mm -hmm. And and speaking of Mm decision-making. But uh, these are all helpful things when it comes to busyness that our children can learn beginning at age 13. Because if we as parents don't train them to make their decisions based on what's important and what their values are, what our values are as a family, then all their decision-making is going to be made based on what their friends are doing because so-and-so is going to go to the movie, so I want to go to the movie, or so-and-so is joining this club, so I want to join this club. And so if if we don't train our children to make value-based decisions, then they're just going to make decisions based purely on emotion and purely on the impulsive need of the moment. And they'll become driven and will be so busy that they won't be able to make wise decisions at any point in their life. In fact, Bob, one of the things that I see parents making mistakes on today is um, there are some young people that are given far too much authority in decision making, and the parents are nowhere to be seen in it. And, and frankly, I, I'm astounded at some of the freedom we give a 13- or 14-year-old as far as their lives are concerned and their choices. And it's like, where are the parents mm-hmm. in that? And as parents, I think we got to be involved in some of these major decisions children are making uh, all the way through adolescence. Mm-hmm. They're not adults yet. You, you, you've got to be careful to certainly not control your child, but I think we've got to be very careful about giving them so much freedom that they don't have the parent involved in their lives, guiding and helping them make a a wise choice. Mm -hmm. You know, as we've talked about various traps that are set for teenagers, we've talked about some that are so obviously dangerous, substance abuse and premarital sex. Most parents can look at those and say, boy, I want to keep my kids away from that. When you talk about busyness, though, 
it's it's a little more subtle. Hmm. Can this trap be as dangerous and destructive as the other traps we've talked about? Absolutely. I don't think it'd be one of the Ten Commandments if it wasn't. When a, when a person gets so busy that they lose any connection to their God, their relationships, and the principles of life that matter most, uh, you know, I, I think it was Chuck Swindoll who made the statement, man is the only creature on the face of God's creation that when he gets lost, he runs faster. <laughs> hmm. And, and you know, I think that's true of us as, as creatures. I think we don't stop and get off the treadmill. Instead, uh, we just increase the speed. And that's how you waste a life. And that's how you make a decision that can be a life-altering decision. And I think, too, if we don't step into our kids' lives and train them in this, we're, we're giving them a false picture of what life is really like as an adult. Because as adults, we do have, have to be accountable for our actions. In a marriage, you have to be accountable for your actions. You have to interact over who's doing what and why. And if we don't train our children to be accountable for what they're doing with their time, how they're making their decisions, then we're giving them a real um, inaccurate picture of what it means to be an adult. And they're not going to be equipped to be a responsible adult. A child who doesn't learn to slow down, doesn't learn to rest, what is that child going to look like when he's 35 or 40? (laughs) Well, he will be lost more than likely because he'll go down one path and pursue that and find out it's a dead end. And then he'll go down another one and find out it's a dead end. And he'll be wasting years and years of his life in futility, trying to figure out what makes sense and not knowing how to make sense of it because he doesn't have wisdom to guide him. More than likely, what he's going to look like is he's going to be divorced. He will Mm -hmm. have lost a marriage, a key relationship along the way. Because if you don't learn some of the boundaries that we're talking about, you'll ruin relationships. You won't have any time for a relationship. You'll bruise. You'll create mistrust. You'll create fear. And that's not the stuff that makes a good marriage. Mm -hmm. What has to happen, you have to have time that's set aside to build a relationship, to be committed to each other. And again, all these things go back to good decision-making. And I can't tell you how strongly both of us feel about this as we look at some of the peers that our children are in school with in college. I fear we're raising a generation of young people who um, they're addicted to activity. They're just busy. They don't know where they're going. Their lives aren't value-driven in the truest sense of that word. And, man, what's going to happen when they establish their own homes? They're destined to fail Mm -hmm. because they're not connected to God, to to the Scriptures, to the things that that ultimately uh, give us the conviction to withstand the storms of life. Those young people are going to be conformed to the world, and you're going to see the ruin that surrounds their lives. I saw an illustration of this recently. I was talking to a businessman who is on the fast track. In two years, his business had gone from two employees to 160 employees. He was on the leading edge of a technological revolution, and uh, he was watching it skyrocket. I ran into him at a convention. He'd spent that morning talking to senators on Capitol Hill, and he was spending the afternoon addressing members of this convention, and then he was off in the plane to the next city. And I asked him, "What, what is it that motivates you? in this area of technology? What is it that really presses you forward? And he said, I'm involved in something that I think someday my grandchildren can look back and say, my grandfather helped start that. And I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, I hope when you get there, you have grandchildren Mm -hmm. who are still connected 
to a family because I fear for the guy who is running around so much that his priorities aren't where they ought to be. He may not have the grandchildren around who can say that about him. And I compare that, Bob, with a man that I know who is stepping off the fast track to discriminate in favor of his marriage and family, having started a company that in a few short years has has uh, several thousand employees. And it's interesting to hear him reflect as he has sought to slow down, sought to connect his heart to his children, how um, how little lure building a company has now to his soul and his life, and how increasingly his desire is for his legacy, that he's leaving his children, not the inheritance that he's leaving them. And you know there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. We can leave uh, an inheritance to our children and fail to leave them a legacy of uh, a life based upon conviction, love for Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and courage to withstand the enormous pressures today to be adults who are too busy. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we're going to teach our teenagers to be able to handle this trap, it's going to mean that we, as adults, can't have one foot in it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's been good today. It's been convicting, though, to talk about busyness, because who doesn't, who doesn't still battle that one? Yeah, are we done? i got to go to the next Yeah, thing. really. <laughs> and I know where Barbara's got to go here in a few minutes as well. But uh, Barbara and I talk frequently at what's, uh, what's really at the core of this issue. Well, I think really what the core issue is for parents and for kids in this area is the issue of selfishness. And as parents, we have the responsibility uh, to turn our children away from selfishness because at the core of busyness is a child wanting to serve himself and wanting to have everything he wants and do everything he wants and and, uh, participate in everything he wants to. And if we allow our children to serve themselves in that way. We're only fueling their selfishness. And ultimately, our goal as parents, and we've talked about this before, is to turn our children away from themselves to serving others and to serving God and being in love with Him. So the whole issue of busyness is wrapped up in this, uh, the issue of selfishness. Are we going to allow our kids to become selfish or are we going to point them outward toward others? And interestingly enough, sometimes that selfishness is not only on the children's part, but it's on the parents' who are living their lives through their children, wanting their children to be successful Mm -hmm. so they can boast in their children's accomplishments. And I'll tell you what, who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love a pat on the back when your children do well? And yet Barbara and I have held one another accountable that that's not to be our ultimate objective. Our ultimate objective is helping our children grow up to lead balanced lives where they're, they're walking with the Lord, they're being obedient to Him, and uh, they've got some margins, some boundaries in their lives, and they're not constantly living life on the ragged edge. Mm -hmm.